Father, we come before you asking for just your insight and wisdom in these days at which we live. The days are growing more and more evil, and it seems that that which is good in your eyes is being called evil, and that which is evil is being called good. We pray for discernment. We pray for your word to dwell richly in our hearts that we might live in a way that is pleasing to you and beneficial to all who are around us. Most of all, Lord, we pray that you would teach us this morning, guide us into truth, help us to understand your ways. And we'll trust you for this by the power of your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Recently, the governor of the state of California told us that we're not supposed to sing We're not supposed to sing or chant in church service. Now, we don't do much chanting unless we do the chant song that we uh, sing in worship. Excuse me a moment. (laughs) But this idea that the governor would say you cannot worship, for me, it gives me a rush of questions that flood my mind. When he issued this order, the Sacramento County Public Health Officer interpretation of this new ban is that no more than two people should be singing inside a church, including for live streams. So you can't have just a worship team singing, praising God, with the camera, nobody else in the sanctuary. You can only have two people max uh, doing that. That's according to the Sacramento County Public Health Officer and their interpretation of it. So the questions when I got this, and I've been asked a couple of times about this, uh, you're singing. Yes, I'm singing, and I hope that you guys are too. Well, the questions I had were, is singing in church a constitutional right? Is singing in church a moral obligation? Is it legally or morally wrong? to prohibit people of faith from singing in a service? Does God command us to give him praise and to sing? Should the government have the right to dictate how a worship service is to be conducted? Now, these five or so questions that I had, I thought that they encompassed exactly what we're experiencing here with this mandate not to sing. And some people have commented on this. One, the Pacific Justice Institute, told faith leaders in a letter that Newsom's guidance is advisory because it does not say it is an order, cites no legal authority, isn't signed by any official, and includes no reference to penalties. I don't know if you know who Erwin Chimerinsky is, but he is about as far left as you can get, and he is the dean of law up at the University of California, Berkeley of all places. I think he used to be at Irvine and now he's at Berkeley. And I've heard him speak several times. And my toes curled every time I listened to him and what he had to say. But this is what he says. The Supreme Court has made it clear, as have the lower courts, that restrictions on assemblies, including for religious purposes, are constitutional. He said in an email, I think this restriction surely is constitutional especially as cases of COVID-19 are surging. There can be enforcement of this as with other businesses. So he comes from the other side saying it's absolutely constitutional. 
that the government can come in and tell the church what they can do with worship. Another individual, Harmeet Dillon, a lawyer for the Republican Party official who has unsuccessfully sued Newsom over several health orders during the pandemic, said she is considering a lawsuit over the signing, or excuse me, the singing restriction. Dillon and other critics, including advocates for faith and freedom in the National Center of Law and Policy and the church restrictions, constitute unequal treatment when compared to recent crowds of demonstrators protesting police violence after the death of George Floyd in Minneapolis. If you're allowed to chant, hey, hey, ho, ho, racism's got to go, but you can't chant the liturgy, that's obviously discriminatory, she said. And then this individual who tweeted, I I got this tweet sent to me. His name is Tony. Tony says, the COVID virus can travel six feet. It cannot go beyond six feet, one inch. It can live on all services except everything or anything from Amazon. It does not live in Walmart, Home Depot, or any grocery store. It's only deadly in small businesses, churches, and Trump rallies. But it cannot harm you protesting. I kind of like his uh, take on that. So these questions that I just posited before you, is singing in church a constitutional right? So we're looking at this from a civil and from a constitutional or legal and also scriptural, those three different areas. Is singing in a church a constitutional right? Are you guys aware of the document called the Declaration of Independence? I think you know what that is, right? I don't think it's taught anymore uh, in the schools. Let me just read it to all of you who are here. And this is, uh, when it deals specifically with an overbearing government. It says, when in the course of human events it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bands which have connected them with another and to assume among the powers of the earth the separate and equal station to which the laws of nature and of nature's God entitle them, a decent, or decent respect to the opinions of mankind require that they should declare the causes which impel them to the separation. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among them are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, that to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent consent of the governed that whenever any form of government becomes destructive to these ends it is the right of the people to alter or to abolish it and to institute new government laying its foundation on such principles and organizing its powers in such form as to them shall seem most likely to affect their safety and happiness so what it's saying is if a government comes in and imposes too much that goes well beyond what is considered moral and ethical and normal, we have the right to say no, because they are given the right to be the governors or the presidents or the congressmen because we say so. And there comes a time where we say, no, we're not going to follow, whether it's the government itself, we're going to set up a new government, which I'm not advocating that, I'm not... I don't want to be misunderstood here. But there's a time where you resist what the government tells you to do. And also, there is this thing called the First Amendment. The First Amendment is called the Establishment Clause. And this is how it reads. 
Congress shall make no law respecting the establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof or abridging the freedom of speech or the press or the right of the people peaceably to assemble and to petition the government for the redress of grievances. And so these things are in the First Amendment. It means we have the right under the laws of our land, no matter what Congress says, no matter what the president says, no matter what governors say, no matter what mayors say, we have the right to freely exercise our religion according to the supreme law of the land, the Constitution of the United States. And if anybody makes a law that goes against that Constitution, we can say, no, we are not going to follow it. We can stand up. We have the legal right to do so. Now, legally, we can go to court and we can handle it that way, but we can also be civilly disobedient up until that time it is adjudicated. Now, with that, there is also, I wanted to make mention just briefly, on the abridgment of the freedom of speech. Have you noticed that there are now words that are prohibited that you cannot say? I started looking up lists of all the different words now that we should not be saying. For instance, now I'm just going to read these to you, and you may not know why we're not supposed to say these words, but I'm just going to say the words, and I'll go back and I'll tell you why. Basket case. You say, that person's a basket case. Or if you say, long time no see. Shouldn't say that. Or were you gypped? What about ghetto? You cannot say ghetto. What about rule of thumb? You cannot say rule of thumb. What about grandfathered in? Can't say grandfathered in. You don't want it in any legal document as well. What about a paddy wagon? Don't want to say paddy wagon. What about sold down the river? What about hysterical? You can't use hysterical anymore. What about eeny, meeny, miny, moe? You cannot use eeny, meeny, miny, mo. And one word that I uh, regularly refer to when I look in the mirror, fat. You cannot say fat anymore or illegal. You cannot say somebody is illegal. Now, some of these you could probably guess why we're not supposed to say them. But how far back are they going to get the the beginnings of these words and what they actually meant. And I went to one site and they had 65 different words that you are no longer allowed to say in business. And it was none of these words. It's a whole nother set of words that you are not allowed to utter. For instance, basket case. How far back did they have to go for that? World War I. In World War I, some soldiers came back from war and they were so beat up, so injured, they would say, he's a basket case. He had to be carried away in a basket. But you can no longer say basket case because it refers to somebody being injured. Long time no see. The reason you can't use that is because the Chinese used to speak broken English here in the United States when they came especially to build the railroads and we had Chinatown. They would say, long time no see. So you can't say that. What about gypped? Can you guess that one? Gypsies, gypsies used to swindle, and it might be offensive to gypsies nowadays, so you cannot say gypped. Ghetto, of course we have the World War II ghettos with Nazi Germany and the Jews. It might be offensive to some Jews, so you cannot say ghetto. 
rule of thumb. You're going to like this one. What's the rule of thumb? The rule of thumb is a man can beat his wife with a stick no bigger than the diameter of his thumb. It's the rule of thumb. That was back in the 1800s, by the way. So how far back do you want to go on some of this? Grandfathered in. Well, when the blacks were freed after the Civil War, if the grandfather that you had was able to vote in 1867 and you were a descendant of him, then you got the vote. But if your grandfather did not get to vote at that time in 1867, you did not get to vote. And so the term grandfathered in or grandfather clause that's in a lot of legal documents, you should not use that anymore. I don't know what they want to change that to. A paddy wagon. Paddy was a derogatory term for Irishman. Uh, paddy wagon, you know, they, it was like an epithet uh, against Irishmen. Sold down the river. This refers to slaves that may have been sold uh, and experienced harder conditions. They were taken down the river to another state uh, somewhere. Also, hysterical. You're going to like this one too. Hysterical comes from the original word for uterus. I believe it was in the Greek. That's where you get hysterectomy. Hysterical. Women are hysterical, which means crazy in the vernacular of the day. And you're not allowed to call a woman hysterical or crazy anymore because there are people, not just women, there are men too, who act hysterical. Recently, there was a guy that went into a Costco that acted hysterical because he wasn't wearing a mask and he felt threatened. And if you haven't seen it, probably don't bother. Then there is eeny, meeny, miny, mo. Catch a tiger by the toe. It wasn't originally tiger. It was an N-word. And so eeny, meeny, miny, mo is no longer allowed to be used. And of course, fat, you know what you're supposed to say instead of fat? Horizontally challenged. And of course, illegal, illegal alien undocumented worker is what you're supposed to say. So there is this move. When I was young also, you know, the trash men would come. They're no longer trash men. They're environmental workers is what they're called. You know, so you have all this language that is being changed. You know that the Antichrist is going to come along and not only do I believe he's going to change language, he's going to change laws, and he's going to change dates and celebrations like Christmas and Easter and those days that we normally hold. It could be the Chinese New Year as well. The, the Antichrist is going to change all of these celebrations that we have uh, been involved with over the millennia. And so this is where we are. So is singing in a church a constitutional right according to the First Amendment and the text of the Declaration of Independence? It is a right legally. We can sing even though they would come along and tell us we can't. We can also choose to use the language that we'd like to use. We can choose to be, and I'm going to use this word, stupid and use the wrong words and get in trouble and suffer the consequences. We can do that, like yelling fire in a crowded theater. You're not legally able to do that. There's certain words that, you know, if you say them or if you incite a riot, you can be legally charged for something like that. So you can't say anything you want, but we certainly uh, 
have free speech. Well, going on with this, is singing in a church a moral obligation? Are we obligated to sing when we come to church? Now, if you saw Jesus and he was standing up here and it wasn't me and he started singing and he said, everyone, I want you to sing. Would you say, "And no, I, I can't sing. I think even if you were totally off key, couldn't carry a tuner in a bucket, oh, that's probably offensive too. <laughs> say that. If, if you couldn't sing at all, you would try to sing if Jesus was up here and he said, sing, I want you to sing. You would sing. You know, Scripture tells us that we are supposed to sing in a corporate way and also an individual way. And the first Scripture I'll read you here is Psalm 109, verse 30. With my mouth I will greatly extol the Lord. In the great throng I will praise him. What's a throng? It's a bunch of people is what it is. A a throng of people. I know it's a word we don't use much anymore. But it's a great gathering. And so the Lord is saying, in the great throng, I will praise him. And so this is more of a suggestion. It's not an imperative. In the imperative mood, in the Greek language, it was a command. It wasn't an option to do. And we'll get to some of those in a minute. Is it legally or morally wrong to prohibit people of faith from singing in a service? Well, I already have given you the Constitution, and specifically the First Amendment as well as the Declaration of Independence, and that is the highest law in the land. It is above the Supreme Court, it is above the President, it is above the Congress of the United States. That that law, that document, those documents are... And so we're supposed to be willing to submit to those. Well, where did we get those laws? Those laws come from the Judeo-Christian background. Did not come from the Koran, did not come from the works of Confucius, even though all truth is God's truth and not all truth is in the Bible, still all truth is God's truth. And we are operating by what the Bible has to say. The founding fathers, most of them were theists. Some were deists, but none of them were atheists. And they held to the morality that comes through the Judeo-Christian uh, avenue. And that's what they inscribed. That's what they put into the documents of the founding of the country. That's why they even na- mention nature's God in the Declaration of Independence. And so is it legally or morally wrong to prohibit people of faith from singing in a church? Yes, they're going against the Constitution and they're going against the Establishment Clause in the First Amendment. So, <coughs> excuse me. Going on with this, does God command us to give him praise and to sing? Well, Psalm 33, verse 1. Now, in verse 1 to verse 3, there are five parallel imperatives. Now, what does that mean? It means there are five commandments that are in there. These are not like the ten suggestions. No, they're ten commandments. They're not, not ten things to live by just by themselves, they'll, they'll help you to have a good life. It is something that God has come along and says, no, you do this, just like it says, worship God. Uh, it says in Psalm chapter 33, verse 1, sing joyfully to the Lord. The word sing there is delivered in the imperative mood. It says, sing to the Lord, sing joyfully to the Lord, you righteous. It is fitting for the upright to praise him, imperative. Praise the Lord, verse 2, with the harp. Make music to him 
on the ten-stringed lyre. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully and shout to the Lord. There's more than three, but in verses one through three, we have a total of five that are there, but the first three are significant. So not only that, but you know, this guitar, it's, it's not a lyre, it's a guitar. And it doesn't have ten strings, it has six. Do you think God cares if it has ten strings or if it has six? He doesn't care. I remember once being at Calvary Chapel, San Diego, and Mike McIntosh was going through some of these verses, especially the end of Psalms. He went through Psalm 145 to 150. And he told everybody, he said, look, as we're going through here, there's a bunch of commands in these Psalms for everybody to praise the Lord and praise him specifically with instruments. And he goes, I want everyone in here that has an instrument to bring it next week. We had violins and trumpets and harmonicas. And, and so Mike would say, okay, praise the Lord. And when it went off, it, was t- it wasn't so hot. But, you know, he was given an example of what we're supposed to do. We're not only supposed to sing audibly, we're to play instruments. Now, if you go to the Church of Christ, they would say there are no instruments used in the praising of God in the New Testament. Therefore, it is a prohibition. You may not use any musical instruments inside of a service of any kind in the New Testament church, which I totally disagree with that theology. That means there are several things you cannot do because they're not mentioned in the Bible. And I think that they're in great error, even though they are our brothers and sisters over there. So there is this, are these parallel imperatives, five total actually, Uh, that are in this section of scripture psalm 147 verse 1 praise the lord how good it is to sing praises to our god how pleasant and fitting to praise him exclamation point psalm 150 verse 3 praise him with the sounding of the trumpet praise him with the harp and the lyre praise him with tambourine and dancing praise him with the strings and flute praise him with the clash of cymbals praise him with resounding cymbals do you think that that's just like a small quartet no, it's, it's like we're going to have a hootenanny. We are going to go out and we are going to sing from the bottom of our hearts. We're going to use instruments and we're going to try to put it together, like he says, play skillfully. So practice at your musical instrument so that you can play skillfully and sing praises to the Lord. So to answer that question, are we commanded to sing? The question specifically was, does God command us to give him praise and to sing? The answer is yes. According to scripture, he does. Should the government have the right to dictate how a worship service is to be conducted? Do you remember the apostle Peter and John when they were brought before the Sanhedrin and they were preaching and people were getting healed, 3,000 get saved in the Sanhedrin, the ruling class of the Jews. They were uptight about this. They knew that they had just crucified Jesus. And they said, we command you to no longer preach this name of Jesus. And this is what they said in verse 18 of chapter 4 of the book of Acts. Then they called them again, excuse me, they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach all at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, judge for yourselves whether it is right in God's sight to obey you rather than God. For we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. So they're not going to be told not to speak. They're going to speak. And if you follow the Psalms and what it says in the Psalms, nobody is going to tell you if you can sing or if you cannot sing. The next question, 
What about the scripture that says we should submit to the governing authorities? This comes up repeatedly. 1 Peter chapter 2, I'm going to read this to you in context. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every authority instituted among men, whether to kings as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to command those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish men. Live as free men, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as servants of God. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the brotherhood of believers. Fear God and honor the king. So if the government comes along and says, you're not supposed to sing inside of church, and here it says, submit to the governing authorities, at what point do you say, I'm not going to submit to the governing authorities according to God's law? I'll tell you the answer is never. If you are doing evil or you are doing wrong. That's when it says you are always supposed to submit to the governing authorities when it comes to the laws that are established for doing right and wrong. Where do laws of morality come from? God. If somebody makes a law that does not comport or come alongside or equal that which God has, saying this is right or this is wrong, if the government says we're going to do something else entirely apart from that, we do not have to submit to that. Now, will there be consequences if you choose not to? Oh, yeah. Uh, Did the Christians accept the confiscation of their property in the New Testament when they became believers? They did so joyfully. So the government can certainly come after you. But what's our obligation? Our obligation is to follow what God says. Our obligation is not to follow what the world says. And then there is also Romans chapter 13, verse 1. I want you to keep in mind in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 13 through verse 16, he's talking about doing evil and doing that which is wrong. So see if you can pick that out in the context in Romans chapter 13, verse 1 through verse 5. It says, Everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, he who rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. So in other words, if you break the law, you are going against what God has to say. Break the law in doing evil or doing wrong. And if you do that, you're going to suffer the consequences. If you do wrong or you do evil anyway, they do not bear the sword in vain. In other words, what was a sword used for? It was used for killing people. It was used for capital punishment, either the cutting off of the head or the stabbing through, whatever it was. Do you want to be free from fear from the one in authority? Then do what is right and he will commend you for he is God's servant to do you good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. See, if you do wrong, be afraid for he does not bear the sword for nothing. He is God's servant, an agent of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also because of conscience. Now, what if we had a president, we had a Congress, a Congress comes along and says, you know what, Uh, males who were born, they are now permanent carriers of the COVID-19 if they get it in the womb, and we have to kill them as they come out of the womb. If we don't do that, 
you are subject to the laws and you can be imprisoned or killed yourself. What if the government came along and said that? What would you do? What did the midwives do under Pharaoh when they were told to kill the children? It was a decree. It was a law. It was the government. And the midwives said, no, we're not going to do this. Now, if you want to say, well, but that's the taking of somebody's life. Which one would send a sinner to hell, a lie or killing somebody? Both. It's the nature that's on the inside. It's not the degree of sin. It's following what God says we must do. If we fail to do that, we don't enter into sin, or we don't enter into heaven. We enter into sin, and we are judged for all of eternity. And God says, no, do not fear those who can kill the body, but fear him who can kill the body and soul. And so both Romans chapter 13, 1 through 5, and 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 13 through 17 are clearly delineating that it is the evildoer, the one who does wrong, the one who says, I'm going to make up my own morality. And if the government comes along, or king, or some despot, and they say, you must do something that goes against what God says, we are to disobey. We are not to follow through with that. Now, what about not singing for the protection of others who might succumb to COVID-19 virus after being exposed in a church service. Don't we have a moral obligation to bend our will to theirs? In Philippians chapter 2, it says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. So what if we said... In the interest of not harming somebody who might come through the church doors that may be susceptible to the COVID-19, and they may succumb to that, they may die as a result of that, shouldn't we not sing and shouldn't all of us keep our masks on all the time in order to protect them? We are already looking after their interests, telling them, if you fear you're going to get the COVID, please do not come to church. Please stay at home. Please sequester yourself. Do not put yourself in harm's way. Is this life full of trial and turmoil? I mean, look at, look at the trials we have. When somebody is born, we rejoice. Do the parents always rejoice when that newborn arrives? <laughs> not if they're staying up all hours of the night. They're not rejoicing very much then. They want the child to go to sleep. And then when you get older, you love life, but you get sick. And then you have trials. Everybody get sick at one time or another. Whether our diseases used to be the chicken pox and measles, and now that's making a round again. I'm waiting for smallpox to come around. Uh, uh, Tuberculosis is here again. You know, we live through life and we suffer pain. Whatever we do, we suffer. If you go into business, you go, hoorah, I'm going into business. And do you have trouble in business? You bet you have trouble in business. You set up a government to keep order. Does the government cause you trouble? Yes, the government causes you trouble. You get married. Well, let's go on to the next one. You get the idea. We're going to have trouble in every station of life, no matter where we are, and something can happen to us. It can cause us to lose our life when we never intended for that to be the case. But see, we can walk knowing that the Lord, he's ours. And once we die, we go to be with him. We don't walk foolishly. We walk with wisdom. But we don't have somebody come in and say, you guys need to stop singing because I have a chance of getting COVID. Well, we all have a chance of getting COVID. And I know somebody that might that. Well, don't come if you think that you might give it to them 
after being exposed in church. I've told my wife a couple of times that I just wish I'd get it and get it over with, you know, just, just run through it. And she reminds me, well, you know, we have family members that are older and it's not for you. And I, I, I get it. I understand. Even where uh, I work, we got the news the other day that a couple of uh, workers, they were exposed. And so they're not coming to work. And, and that's good. That's wonderful. But to dictate how we act that goes against what God commands in his scripture because somebody is offended or afraid, we cannot stop that and we cannot accommodate that. And so for those who would say, I mean, there are churches that still haven't opened because they want to submit to the governing authorities. They don't want to expose anybody or they may be a 4,000 member church and they're only allowed 100 people or 25% of the capacity of the building, whichever is less. It's like, okay, God commands us to worship. God commands us to meet together. Do not forsake the gathering together of the brethren as is a habit of some and all the more as you see the day approaching and especially all the information that has come out about COVID-19. And they say, the cases are rising. Yeah, the cases are rising. Is the hospitalization rising? Well, now the hospitalizations are rising. Why are they rising? Well, in San Diego, they're going down to the border and they're getting people in ambulances at the border and they're bringing them across and they're putting them in the hospitals here. And, and then they're putting people in the rest homes as well. I think they've stopped that now. But because of the management of some of the people, and I'm just going to say it, who are foolish in government positions, like in New York and New Jersey, where they said to put the people in the convalescent homes. So what would you do? You killed everybody in the convalescent homes because they put them in there, and they're kind of swatting away any type of criticism. And, the, and now you have the president going against, uh, what's that small guy's name? Yeah, Fauci, Mr. Fauci. I think that's Italian. Is that Italian? Yeah, Linguini. You know, I, 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 I'm so, I, you know, I'm letting no unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for the building up of others according to their needs that it ben- may benefit those who listen. I'm trying to benefit you. I'm trying to give you the truth of what's going on here. There's politics in the midst of this, and I understand this COVID is deadly. I get it. I understand, but I'm not going to walk through this life in fear. And we're not supposed to walk in this life in fear. Am I going to wear my mask? Yes, I'm going to wear my mask. Let me show you this mask. This is a designer mask that I have here. This designer mask, you know what the name of the church is, Calvary. Calvary is where you have the Greek word calvarium. Calvarium stands for cranium, skull, we go to Skull Chapel. That's where we go. This is Skull Chapel. I now have a skull with three crosses on top. I have a custom... Uh, Betty made this for me. I, I love this thing. And so I'm going to walk around with my Skull Chapel, and you know somebody might be offended by that. We can't stop the offenses from coming. That's one of the problems with our culture. People get threatened. They, they say, somebody says a word and they cower in a corner like they've been beaten or something just because of what somebody says. I will not live like that. I know the next generation might. And I'm going to be gentle in spirit when I talk with people and make sure that they understand what the will of the Lord is. But I'm not going to cower back if somebody says, you must do what the government says in all situations. No, I'm not going to do that. And again, are we at risk? Yes, we are at risk if we do this. I believe 
myself and the board here at Calvary Chapel Lakeside are not being foolish, but wise in the way that we check the temperature. We have hand sanitizer for everybody that has been made available. We require masks upon entry. We have restricted in-person sitting down in the fellowship the afterwards going to tables and sitting down and serving food we don't do that Uh, we will do that at some point but we are doing our best to maintain the social distancing Uh, and this is all for the sake of the body and to honor God and the governing authorities and his word and what it declares and we should do so but when the government comes along and they take a step too far It's our turn to just say, no, we're not going to comply. And I have something. I have it on my phone here. Let me me, uh, bring it up. I got it right before service because I thought about it. And let's see. Hold on a second. Here they are. There is this pastor, Pastor Martin Niemöller or Niemöller. I don't know if you know who he is or was. He was a Lutheran pastor, a popular one in Germany during World War II. And during uh, his time in Germany, he didn't do anything as far as going against the state and the Nazis and all of that. And if you go to Israel, to Yad Vashem, Yad Vashem is a memorial for all of those Jews who were killed in the Holocaust. And as you walk it's towards uh, the beginning there's a beginning where you walk in and they have all these quotes that are on uh, big uh, pieces of cardboard or what they i don't know what they're made of or fabric and these quotes are written out now this particular quote some have changed it and some have modified it but i I tried to find one that was as close to what he had originally written pastor martin nimoller n-i-e-m-o-l-l-e-r He lived from 1892 to 1984. This is what he wrote. First, they came for the communists, and I didn't speak out because I wasn't a communist. Then they came for the trade unionist, and I didn't speak out because I wasn't a trade unionist. Then they came for the Jews, but I didn't speak out because I wasn't a a Jew. Then they came for me, and there was no one left to speak out for me. And so not only are we supposed to resist the government if they do something that is immoral or illegal or they try to take away the freedoms that we understand God has given us. But we are supposed to speak out and we're to say, no, this is wrong. Now, we don't have to do it in a belligerent way. We just simply say, no, this is wrong and I'm not playing. Uh, You can take your toys and go somewhere else, but I'm not going to play. And I'm referring to not the individual I'm referring to the government authorities that would come in and say, this is how you must act. If we don't do that, when they come for us, who's going to speak for us? I can tell you right now, no one is. A a little anecdotal story. Correct me if I'm wrong on this, Nate. Yesterday, I was up in Alpine, and they were doing some uh, street preaching, not street witnessing, street preaching I was probably 100 150 yards away and I I kept on hearing this I go what is that I I hear something and I stood for a second and I just listened and I heard somebody delivering a message in a parking lot 
at Albertsons in Alpine. He had a megaphone of some kind. I, I don't know exactly where it was. But I, I'm going, oh, somebody's given the gospel over there. And so I walked over there, and I checked it out. Lo and behold, I knew a couple of people over there, more than two. There's at least two in this room that were there. And so when I went up there and I listened, I, I just encouraged them, you know, good, give the gospel. It's great. But Nate, was there somebody, did I hear somebody come up and say, you ought to stop? Did somebody come up yesterday and say that? Because I was far away. You don't know? You were not paying. Josh, did somebody come up and say that? No, not yesterday. I couldn't make it out, but I thought somebody had come up and said when I was away at a distance, like, just stop. But apparently that wasn't the case. But if you ever uh, listen to a street preacher, people will come up and they will tell them, stop it. Don't say anything. Don't witness. Just go live your life. That's just fine for you. And I want to tell you, that's not what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to be a witness in whatever form the Lord calls us to. Now, I'm not called to street preach. I'm called to pastor, and I'm called to witness one-on-one when I can, and maybe to groups. I know what my calling is. And each one of us have our own calling, and so I would encourage you in that. And I'm not saying this to you in such a way to beat you over the head and say, you got to do this. No, you get the blessing of doing this. If you just open your mouth and look for the opportunities. I bet if you prayed today, Lord, this week... Give me an opportunity to share the gospel. You know what? He might bring somebody along for you to share the gospel with. But you might not pray it because I'm so nervous. I don't know if I can do that right. You know, just have a little Bible. Have a couple of scriptures with you. Romans 10, 9, and 10. Say this is how you get to heaven. You know, you can do the Romans road, whatever you want to do. So anyhow, I, I want to close this part of it up. I do want to do a little bit in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. The only time we should refuse to obey the government or any other authority is when the government oversteps its God-given position. I believe this is the case in what the governor has done. Ecclesiastes chapter 3 says, There is a time for everything and a season for every activity under heaven. If you read chapter 3 there, there's a time to speak and a time to remain silent. This is a time to speak. This is not a time to remain silent. Now, going on with that, we are in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and we have about 10 minutes left. So I, I just want to give a little overview, and I'll go back over it again this next week. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we left off in verse 12. And this is talking about the body of Christ. You know, the Lord uses different metaphors and different nouns to describe us. Like, as a collective, we are called the church is what we are called. Now, that's a a noun. We are also called the body of Christ. That's a metaphor. We are not actually Jesus' physical body, but we are the body of Christ. We belong to him. We are also called sheep. Now, he specifically chooses some of these descriptive terms or phrases so that we would understand our relationship to him. In the youth, I'm going through the I am statements of God, of Jesus, where Jesus said, I am the bread of life. And I asked the youth, I said, is he talking about bread? And they said, well, no, he's not talking about bread. That's a metaphor. And they would have known, the Jews would have known about manna, which is, what, what's the English translation of manna? What is it? So they walked up to it and said, what is it? 
But that what is it, it sustained their life. Jesus comes along. They said, who are you? He said, I am the bread of life. They would have immediately thought of the bread in the wilderness. Or what about the gate? He is the gate or the door. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. All of those statements, he said, I am. What does that mean? To the Jews, like, what? You think your I am of the burning bush of Moses? And we went through all of that. So God uses descriptive terms like that for us. We are the church. We are the bride of Christ, which means we are loved. The young woman, the maiden who is getting married, is loved by the one who has chosen her. Just like we have been chosen by Christ, normally the guy says, will you marry me? That's normally the way it happens. Sometimes in our culture today, it's, it's flipping around the other way. But we are the bride. We are loved by Christ. And so we want to make sure we understand these metaphors. And he, he wants to communicate to us more truth than is just on the surface. Like, for instance, the metaphor of the body of Christ that we also read in the scripture reading here. Is our body disjointed? Is my hand laying over there and my knee over here and my foot over there? No, it's, we're unified. We are knit together. Just like God knit us together in our mother's womb, we are knit together as the body of Christ. When we get saved, we are placed into the body of Christ never to be removed. God doesn't come in and do an appendectomy if you're the appendix and just remove you, says you're done. He doesn't do that. He doesn't cut off somebody's arm. We are unified with this metaphor of the body of Christ. Also, each part of the body is for diversity. So we have unity, we have diversity. Now, this almost sounds like a corporate slogan that the sales community would use out there. We are strengthened by our diversity. Well, in some sense, this is true. We're unified, we are diverse, and, (coughs) excuse me, we are interdependent. Those three things I want you to go away with today. We are unified as the body of Christ, we have diverse parts, and we are interdependent. Have you ever taken... uh, your wrist we used to do this we'd take our wrist and we'd squeeze it as hard as we could and somebody would come along and they'd push all the blood out of the hand like this as you're holding it like that they they push the blood out and your hand it becomes like death white you look at it you go it looks like it's not going to make it you think rigor mortis is going to sit in or something and then when you release it all the blood goes in, you get this tingling sensation going in. We did this as kids. But if you cut off the hand from the blood flow, and that's where the life is in the blood, the hand begins to die, so to speak. Well, if you remove the hand, is the person handicapped in some way? They are. What if you remove somebody from the body of Christ that is vital? Well, you handicap the body of Christ. Now, People come and go from the church all the time. But if somebody goes that's a hand, well, God's going to put another hand right back on there. Well, who's going to fulfill that position? Not my problem. It's God's problem. He's the great physician. He's going to put everything back where it needs to be. Now, we have a tendency to try to modify the parts of the body because we think it looks better, right? Don't we? You get up. I I bet all of you looked in the mirror today. You wanted to look better. You know, what do I look like? 
It's all, it's all good, you know. You do some shaving, something like that. We do that with the body of Christ too. The hand comes along and says, you need to change your face. And so your hand works on your face. And we do that in the body of Christ instead of just helping. And that's where we get in trouble with the body of Christ. Now, we're supposed to be unified. But the other hand says, stop it. Get away from the face. The face is just fine. And you get this war going back and forth with members of the body. Have you ever seen the dog? I I don't know if you've seen this video. The dog has a bone. He's chewing on the bone. And his back leg starts coming up towards the bone. And he turns around to bite the leg. He bites his own leg. He's, he's infighting. The body of Christ sometimes does that, but we're supposed to be unified. We're supposed to help each other. You know, when you, you, you take a shower once a week, whether you need to or not, you, you grab the soap and you, you're scrubbing down everywhere. You're, the hands are taking care of the body. The mind is directing it. That's the way it's supposed to work. So we're unified in the purpose of making sure the body is healthy, is doing well, is fed, gets its sleep so to speak, gets its rest. We're supposed to do that and be unified in that. Also, the diversity, the parts of the body. The hand can't say to the eye, I don't need you. No, the the foot can't say that either, especially the foot. If you run into something in the middle of the night and you knock off your toenail and your eye didn't see it, you are going to scream and your whole body hurts. You go to the floor and you're holding your foot and you're screaming and the mind is just going, warning, danger, Will Robinson, this is not good. And, And that's what the diversity part is for. One part helps another. I mean, if you take away the eyes, where's the rest of the body? You can't really... Could you hand me that cup over there? Uh, No, I can't because I can't see it. The eyes are not assisting the hand. And so, see, that's how we are interdependent. Like, I'll be up here. I've always said, you've heard me say it before, many of you, I'm I'm just a pair of lips. You know, I'm, I'm just flapping away up here. And I let you know what God's will is through his word, you take it, and if your hand goes, I got this. Pastor Bill said we're to work in the body of Christ, and I have the gift of help, so I'm going to work. I'm going to take these glasses, I'm going to move them over there. Or I'm going to sweep up the sanctuary, or I'm going to uh, paint uh, some of the trim that's around here, whatever the case might be. And so that's how we're supposed to work as the body of Christ. We are diverse in our gifts, and God designed it that way, and also interdependent. We can't say, I don't need you if you're a member of the body of Christ. Every single person is very important. The problem, again, that we have is there's going to be infighting, but where we decide we're going to give somebody a task to do that they weren't designed to do. Like, for instance, I want you to sew a quilt with your toes. Yeah, I see you laugh. You go, what? Yeah, right. You're going to make that happen. Uh Uh-huh. I I don't think so. You would get the hands. Hands, that's your job. You were built for that. Now, are some people able to make a quilt with their toes? I've seen a guy, I've met a guy, talked to a guy that plays guitar with his feet. He doesn't play with his arms. He doesn't play with his hands. He doesn't have any. He plays with his feet. He does a pretty good job. Yeah, you can tune his guitar. He gets that pick going. I saw another guy just the other day. Not Vic Moichek, I think is his name. Another guy. He didn't have any arms and legs. And he's fully dressed and he rolls from room to room. He does what he can. But, you know, he's, he's kind of, well, he is disabled. And we don't want to be like that. If you have a gift, 
use it. If you're a hand, use it. If you're an elbow, and some of those gifts we think are less important, try working without an elbow. You don't give it much thought until you hit it on something, right? But that elbow is vitally important. All the joints that you don't see, they are so important. And so walk away with this. The body of Christ is unified. It is also diverse and it is interdependent. And I'll go a little more into detail with this. Now, as far as the unity goes, I pray that you are able to walk away from this place today and you go, you know, I got to consider God's law and the restrictions that they're imposing on us. And I need to use wisdom. And everybody, you know, they have their own opinions and that's great. And a different pastor will have a different opinion. And that's fine. But for us in this church, we are going to make our very best attempt to do what God says in his word and the way he has set up this country and the rulers that are supposed to be here. I don't think it's a a place where we need to be contentious. But may God give you wisdom when you enter into conversations with people about this. May you be compliant, wearing your face shield uh, whenever you go somewhere just to help out others and keep others safe because it is for them and not for us. And for anybody who would come to church here that feels threatened, I would ask them to stay at home and watch by the uh, website that we have going and also Facebook. So may the Lord bless you. May he keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you. And may he also give you wisdom beyond your years as we live in these evil days. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you have instructed us that we are knit together as your body here on earth to do your will. We understand that you could have done it all by yourself, but you determined this was the only way that would be right, that would be fitting, that you would use us to be your witnesses here. We ask, Lord, that you would prepare us for this task of being a witness, leading people into the kingdom, performing under the gifts that you have given to us, and help us not to shy away. And we thank you that you have chosen us for salvation, Lord. We thank you that we had a chance to respond. In Jesus' name, everyone said.